Isaiah 11, beginning in verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious." Well, they're all. F- well, it's David's. It's the descendant of the one, the branch from the stem of Jesse. This is all. G- well, David, Christ. Yeah, he is the. He's the fulfillment about the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Yeah, this is all about Christ, and what the effect of ultimate effect of his, his kingdom glory will be. We will be in a totally non-dangerous place. (laughs) Let's pray together. Our Lord, we are so grateful for this opportunity to draw together as an assembly of people in your presence. We are coming here for the principal purpose of sitting at your feet, of being instructed by you, of you building us up in your truth. We are asking that you will enable us to see you. And Lord, that today, as we sing, as we pray, that we will be offering a sweet incense to you. It will be something that you enjoy. May we be doing it from pure hearts. Enable us to do that. And our Lord, enable us to know that when we leave this place that we have been in your presence, shepherded by you through this entire time. We ask this of you, 
good Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, we just sang the sermon. <laughs> Colossians chapter 2. As we have gone through this letter from Paul's pen, as you will recall, he is under house arrest in Rome. This is where we find him at the close of the book of Acts. He's under house arrest in Rome. He writes the letters of Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians from that location. Colossae is a city he's never been to. It's actually a town. It's a small place. It's only about six miles from a larger place called Laodicea. And at the close of the letter, he's going to say, make sure that this gets read in the church at Laodicea as well. And so he's actually writing to these people, as I indicated, he's never been there, but he knows people who have ministered to this congregation. He knows what their nature is because of the reports brought to him. And he's offered to them really encouraging words. And the most encouraging thing he has done, as is Paul's trait, he focuses on the reality of who our Lord is. As I indicated earlier in this series, each one of Paul's letters has as an introductory phrase, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, First and Second Timothy and Titus, he inserts the word mercy in there, which I'm totally in favor of. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But what is, that's not just something we're supposed to slide by. Grace and peace. What is that a statement about? We walk in... <clears throat> God's grace, God's gifting. What brought us into the kingdom? We were lost. We were standing in condemnation before the holy God. <clears throat> the longer we lived, the bigger our criminal debt became. <laughs> and then we heard a message. And that message was that God the Father, sent God the Son, the triune God. God the Father sent God the Son who took upon himself full humanity, full, he is fully God, fully man, joined together in one person. And as the perfect Lamb of God, flawless Lamb of God, when they would take the Passover lamb into the temple to be examined by the priest, the priests were looking for any, any flaw would disqualify that lamb. It had to be a flawless lamb. And then they would sacrifice that lamb, and you would take the blood and put it on the lintel and doorpost of your door. You would have the Passover feast, and it had to be a flawless lamb. Jesus was the flawless lamb. Isn't it amazing that when you read the gospel accounts, Jesus' worst enemies were the ones examining him. 
the ones who had it as their purpose to carry out a legal murder against God the Son. They knew, I'm going to tell you, this is conjecture, but I think I got lots and lots and lots and lots of proof that Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest, knew Jesus was the Messiah. They had every proof. And they couldn't even get two witnesses, even though they coached them, they couldn't get them in public testimony to agree together. Their whole thing fell apart. Then they brought him to Pilate, and Pilate said, I can find no fault in this man. I'm washing my hands of the blood of this just man. So, But here was the one that both, the, when Pilate said to them, what are you accusing him of? Well, we don't have, you just, you just crucify him. What? <laughs> what are you accusing him of? The only things they came up with were two true statements. He claims to be the king of the Jews, which he was, and he claims to be the son of God, which he was. Those were his accusations. They're accusations. And Jesus went to the cross as the Lamb of God. He took upon himself all of the guilt of our sin. He became, was declared responsible for our actions, and he was judged by his Father for our actions. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he paid sin's penalty to tell us, die. It, is pay, it is finished, it's paid in full. <clears throat> How do I get the benefit of that? By a simple act of faith. I hold out a hand and I say, yes, please. May I have that benefit? And 100% of the time, God says, yes, gladly, gladly, gladly. God so loved you, to paraphrase John 3.16, God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, the heir of all things, the most important person in the universe. He gave his only begotten son that should you believe in him, transfer your trust from your own works to his works, you would not perish but have everlasting life, a vital blessed relationship with God forever. That's the gospel. That is not only how we step into the kingdom. That's not only how we, by that mode, we are brought into the kingdom. It is by that same mode that we walk in the kingdom, holding out an empty hand. Lord, I held out an empty hand, and you put that scroll in my hand that had all of my sins listed, and that word to telestai, paid in full, scrawled across it, you put it in my hand. I'm still holding out an empty hand because I need, I need... You tell me I'm to walk in your grace. And this is, the, this is the posture God wants his people to be walking through this world in, holding out our empty hands so that he can fill our hands with his provision in such a way that we know that it was from him. And that was what was so wonderful about the Sunday school class we just had, as we had the testimonies of people saying, let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you what God did. And I mean, God's fingerprints all over my life experience. And that is a trait of God's shepherding of his people. He not only meets the need, he does it in a way that points to him. That is the standard operating procedure. It's the standard mode of, of the Christian life. Paul has been saying that through Colossians chapter 1. He has been reminding them of that all the fullness dwells in Christ. 
Chapter 1, verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in Him, in Christ, all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself. By Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. That is the standard, that is the standard format that not only brings us into the kingdom, it is the format by which we walk in the kingdom, is holding out that empty hand. Beginning in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul continues, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. You've seen the conflict. You know I'm writing this letter to you from being under house arrest. It's not something I chose. It was something forced upon me. But oh, by the way, God has used it in a mighty way, according to his wisdom. I've actually got an entree into speaking to the most elite, the elites of the Roman world. The least successful people in the, in the empire are being sent to my house to be chained to me. <laughs> and what do you think we're talking about? God is governing my life experience. I've been experiencing great conflict for you and those in Laodicea. (coughs) This is for the spreading of the gospel that will have an impact on your life. You have experienced disciples coming to your communities and sharing the gospel with you. You've seen them. And by the way, wherever they went, it was a hostile environment. Wherever you went in the Greek-Roman world or anywhere else in the world, it was a hostile environment because the locals, gods, goddesses, or politicians, in many cases, demanded worship. They demanded worship of themselves. And here are people that were saying, no, I will worship only Jesus. I will worship only Jesus. You know about what I've been experiencing, that your hearts might be encouraged as you hear of my going through this time of testing and God's fingerprints all over it. 
That's exactly what happened in the Sunday school class a few minutes ago. We heard people talk about the testing they went through and how God, and I mean, not just, well, maybe you could, no, straight, you, you just meet a guy in the store and you're talking to him and he hands you a hundred dollar bill. What? <laughs> All kinds of stuff like this. That's the kind of God we have. He not only meets our need, he does it in a way that we say, oh yeah, that was the Lord. Yep. Yep. Now this, verse 4, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Okay, what part of the hostility of the environment that they're in is that they are in a culture, the Greek culture, and the Roman world was influenced by the Greek culture. One of the interesting things, this is Daniel chapter 2. Daniel, or excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian emperor, has a dream. And in this dream, he sees this enormous statue. And it has a head of gold. Now, let me stop for a second. It's so powerful and impressive to him that he says, okay, I've got to find out what this means. And I want to make sure I'm getting the truth, not just some guy's pretend revelation. So he calls in all of his spiritual advisors. He says, okay, I had a vision. I had a dream. I want you to interpret it for me. And they say, okay, that's fine. Tell us what it was and we'll tell you what it means. No, I'm not going to tell you what my dream was because your claim is that you go to the gods who gave the dream to find out what the dream means. And so if you're going to the gods who gave the dream to find out what the dream means, they should be able to tell you what the dream was. That's my test on you. So I'm going to, I'm, you tell me what the dream was and then what it means. And there they throw, a, and if you don't, I'm going to kill you and your families. And they flip their lids. No king has ever asked this of any advisor before. This is totally unreasonable. He says, well, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm going to do. And they actually send the palace guard, shows up at the house where Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego live, and knocks on the door. Okay, I'm here to chop your heads off. Uh, mm, stop. <laughs> we have a friend, say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, our companion here, Daniel, who has, to whom God has given the ability to interpret dreams and visions. Will you give us time to inquire of our God about this, and then we will come back to you. Oh, sure, I'll give you that time. And a couple of days later, they said to him, okay, Daniel, God has disclosed this to Daniel, and that guy is so confident in Daniel, because obviously he's seen him walk with integrity before, he leads him into Nebuchadnezzar's presence and says to Nebuchadnezzar, I have found a man who can answer your question. That's how confident he is. And then Daniel does give the interpretation. Here is this statue, a head of gold, arms and chest of silver, belly and thighs of brass or bronze, legs of iron, and feet of a mixture of iron and ceramic material. 
And then there's a mountain over here. And out of that mountain, a mighty boulder is cut out. And that boulder flies down and smashes that statue, turns it to powder. That all blows away. And then that rock grows into a great mountain that covers the earth. And that's what you saw in your dream, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, this is what it means. You are the head of gold. The Babylonian Empire is the head of gold. They are the most, uh, humanly speaking, according to the interpretation, they are the most valuable culture, the highest culture, most refined culture of that world. They would be followed by a culture of silver, which was the Persian culture. Now, as we see, the, we go from gold to silver to bronze to iron, a diminishing of value but an increase in strength. Silver is harder than gold. Brass or bronze is harder than silver. And iron is harder than bronze. Well, you are the head of gold, which was followed by the Persian Empire, which was the arms and chest of silver, followed by the Greek Empire, which was the belly and thighs of brass, and then the legs of iron, and, well, the Greek Empire was about... As the, as the Persians conquered the Babylonians, they said, oh, wow, yikes, they're ahead of us in civilization. When Alexander the Great led the Greeks in, in conquering the Persians, he was so uh, overwhelmed by the superiority of the Persian culture compared to the Greek culture, he ordered all of his officers to divorce their Greek wives and marry Persian women. They had a massive wedding ceremony. And then when the, Greek, when the Romans conquered the Greeks, they were so over, heavily impressed by the Greek that they embraced a, whole, a big part of the Greek. The Roman Senate, all of that, that, the legal system, the wisdom, what is Greece renowned for? Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, the, and the medicine of Greece. Even modern medicine, the basic foundation of modern medicine in the modern world is ancient Greek medicine. That's where we got our start. So you have an increase in strength, but a decrease in value. Well, they're in the Roman world is still super impressed by the Greek philosophical culture. And there are people that make a living wandering around the Mediterranean world, giving lectures, reciting Socrates, reciting Aristotle, reciting Plato, reciting all these guys. They are heavily impressed by this. And so that is a draw away from the real truth to a fake truth. Now, there were some things in Greek philosophy that were true. But it only takes a drop of poison to, kill, <laughs> to make it lethal. And so what is he saying to them? Do not allow yourself to be drawn away from the truth truth to the half truth because it's impressive because other people say, oh, you ought to really be paying far more attention to Socrates than Paul or Socrates than Jesus. No, Jesus is the word of God become flesh. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. 
For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Everything I'm hearing about the way your congregation is functioning is very, very encouraging. You are walking steadfastly in the faith. You're hearing Bible truth and walking in the Bible truth. It is as simple as that. That is, in fact, the mode of operation of everybody on the planet. Everybody is walking according to promises. The issue isn't whether you're going to walk according to promises, but whose promises are you going to walk in? The world system is filled with people making all kinds of promises and declaring, oh, this is how the world works, this is how the world works, and they're in disagreement. Jesus has it right. God's Word has it right. Don't accept that poison that is found in the have-truths, the half-truths of the world. Though I am absent, let's see. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. They can make it sound good. By the way, these traveling lecturers, they did really well making money, going around, doing all these recitations. They're very persuasive. Otherwise, people wouldn't be paying to hear what they have to say. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. Not faith in Socrates. Not faith in Plato. Not faith in any other reciter. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. As I indicated earlier, How do we step into the kingdom? God offers us, here's the gospel promise, the good news promise. My son paid since penalty for you. All you have to do to receive that benefit is hold out an empty hand and he will place that benefit in your hand. End of story. But that is also how you walk God has given, as Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, his precious and magnificent promises. Folks, this this book is filled with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of promises that God wants us to cry. He wants us to recite his word to him. That doesn't offend him. He loves it. Lord, I am trusting you to keep your promise to meet my physical needs, to keep breath in my lungs, (laughs) food in On my plate, Lord, I'm trusting you to meet these needs in a way that brings glory to you. (coughs) The world system, the world system is about the same kind of promises. But they don't always work. This is the God who always is there. He is the faithful, faithful, faithful God. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. Esteem him. Study Christ. Study Christ. The passage that we read earlier from the prophet Isaiah. 
Study that passage. It tells you a great deal about your Lord Jesus. Read the gospel accounts about the Lord Jesus. Focus on him. Study him because he is your provider. He is the one with you. When you cry out to God that he would keep these promises, who is the one there present keeping those promises? The Lord Jesus. He hasn't gone to heaven. He's not up there in heaven twiddling his thumbs, waiting, okay, Father, when am I doing this second coming thing? No. He is with you every step of the way. What did he say? And I, I keep reciting it for a reason because I'm really a slow learner. <laughs> Matthew 28 to the apostles, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world and I will be with you. Go into all the nations and I will be with you. I will be with you, Andrew, when you go to Ukraine. That's where Andrew ended his ministry was Ukraine. I will be with you, Andrew. Excuse me, Thomas, when you're in India, which is where he concluded his ministry. Wherever you go, I will be, I can be in India and Ukraine at the same time. I will be with you in the all of the fullness of who I am. Study me. Study my loyalty to my word and my promises. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him by that same mode, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, this body of truth, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Can you outdo the promises of God? You can't. You can't. What is the ultimate promise of God? Oh, by the way, I'm going to step you into a kingdom that is so immeasurable in its glory, in its magnitude, in its wonder, that you're going to have to have a resurrection, incorruptible body to withstand the blessing. <laughs> you're going to be able to stand in my unrestrained, holy presence and not be afraid. Simply glory in it and not be afraid. Whereas without that, you would go... He is going to enable us to enjoy every blessing. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, putting those roots down. The tree cannot stand if the root system isn't any good. When the wind gets strong enough, the tree will go over. It has to have a good root system. And built up in him and established in the faith, this body of truth, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Because the, if you understand gospel truth, Bible truth, you will wonder. You will be a child of wonder and glory. Oh my Lord, how wonderful these promises are. Beware. Lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. If you've been in the church environment for a significant period of time, you've seen this happen. You've seen people who were loyally walking with Jesus who suddenly step off in the wrong direction. They start going down a wrong path because someone enticed them. 
They enticed them either with something that filled them with pride because I've got a special insider knowledge that the rest of you poor benighted people don't have, either either their pride or their lust or some other thing that draws them away from the gospel promise, the gospel glory. And they are embracing what will blow up and ultimately blow up in their face. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, cause you to not experience what God purposes for you to experience. Lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty lies, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, the world system, and not according to Christ. 1 John 2.17 The world is passing away and its lusts. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. I'll take that. I'll take that. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world that is passing away and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. There is nothing lacking in him. You don't need Jesus plus Muhammad. You don't need Jesus plus any other so-called prophet or spokesman. Jesus, Jesus. Now we have other, we have the writings of the apostles, but what are they doing? They're pointing to Jesus. They're saying, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. They're not pointing to themselves. Peter never pointed to himself as anybody's solution. Paul isn't pointing to himself as a solution. They are incessantly pointing to Christ as the solution. For in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You can authentically, without any restraint, worship him as avidly as you would God the Father, because he is as fully God as God the Father is fully God, as God the Holy Spirit is fully God. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. There is nothing left out. There's nothing left out. We've all had the experience of maybe packing our vehicles and packing our trailers and heading down the road and, oh man, I forgot the tent or I forgot the sleeping or I forgot the mattress or I forgot the... uh." No, God never forgets. Everything is there. And you are complete in him who is the head of of all principality and power. Who, what power in heaven or on earth can stand, successfully stand in opposition to Jesus? None, none, none. Even the, that angel who used to be at the pinnacle of the angel pyramid, that fellow named Lucifer, got cast down, and a third of the angelic host got cast down with him. And they are going to ultimately end up in that place that already exists called the lake of fire. That was created for the devil and his angels. Don't follow them. You don't want to be hanging out with them. You want to be shoulder to shoulder with God the Son in that eternal kingdom. 
you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. And Satan flees from Jesus. He knows he can't handle Jesus' authority. If Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, what does that leave to any human prince or princess or angel? None. They're all just a show. Jesus has all of the actual power. They must obey. As we come to the Lord's table, that's why it is so important that we have this regular celebration of the Lord's table because it brings us back to exactly what Paul was talking about. It brings us back to the core truth of the Christian life, of our relationship with God. I have a favorable relationship with God because of what Jesus accomplished for me, not anything I did. And I'm just like you. I need that reminder. Satan is constantly trying to get us push, looking at our performance. Well, it's good to look at your performance because you all got things, we all got things to confess, right? But it's never what brought us into a welcoming relationship with God. It's always only been Jesus. Never allow the enemy by sleight of hand, quietly, and he'll come in quiet like a little mouse, He'll come in quiet, but to pull you away, to distract you just a little bit. How much poison does it take? Not much. Keep your eyes, you keep your attention fully, completely focused on him only.